right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome in. Another edition. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up in about 30, 35 minutes from right now, we're going to be joined by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant. Today was an off day for KU football. Didn't have any practice. I don't, I don't know if they still have other things going on like weightlifting or film room or whatnot, but no practice today, no media availability today. We'll be back at it tomorrow and get you some more audio. We still have some other stuff to share for you today on the show, but we'll talk with John Kirby and catch up about what's gone on in fall camp, discuss maybe some of the positional battles, the quarterback battle, among other things with KU football. But actually, some KU basketball news to lead off the show today here on RCST. MJ Rice, a five-star recruit for the class of 2022, has announced his commitment to the University of Kansas. This is the, I believe, third commitment for KU for the class of 2022, and all of them are relatively highly ranked. Grady Dick is a guy who's seen as a top 40, top 30 prospect. Uh, Zuby, again, I don't even want to try to pronounce the last name because I think it's Ejiofor or something like that. Um, he's a top 60 guy as well. And right now, the overall result, KU is ranked number two in the team recruiting rankings, which so funny every time that we talk about this. Well, the NCAA stuff is hurting KU in recruiting. And, you know, you still have a case to be made that it's hurting KU in recruiting for getting, like, the top, top guys because we haven't seen, like, a Josh Jackson, Andrew Wiggins type guy. I guess if you wanted to count Quentin Grimes, honestly, you might be able to because he was thought of as, as like, a top 10 guy. But you haven't brought in that, like, number one, number two, number three overall recruit in a class and you weren't able to get Keontae George, who we talked about yesterday. So maybe that continues on. But overall, the recruiting isn't really falling behind, even with the NCAA stuff. Maybe it makes it a little tougher for KU, but they're still bringing in dudes. Like we talked about, you know, all the top transfers they brought in over the course of this offseason and bringing on high-level recruits where you're still a top 10 recruiting class in the country. Right now, the number two recruiting class in the country for 2022 with three top 60 commits so far and two guys who are top 30, you would imagine that Grady Dick, depending where he winds up, maybe he'll be a McDonald's All-American. You would imagine MJ Rice is going to be a McDonald's All-American, and you land him. And now KU has, like, the all-name team for 2022. you got a kid named Rice. Think about all the puns you can make with that. you got a kid named Dick. They've got uh, a kid named Zuby, which is an awesome name. Lots of puns we can use for the 2022 team. So more on MJ Rice in the 24-7 composite Rice comes in at 20th overall. He's got a grade of .9911. Grade-wise, he's the highest recruit since Bryce Thompson. Before that, Quentin Grimes. 
ranking-wise, 20th in the class. He's KU's highest recruit since 2018 when he brought in Quentin Grimes that season. 6'5", 225-pound wing from Durham, North Carolina. He goes, though, or will be going to a prep school in Napa, California, so coming out of wine country. And here is the 24-7 scouting report on MJ Rice. Rice is a powerfully built wing who is a true matchup nightmare in the high school game. He has the physical build of a Mack truck, but combines his powerful frame with a great amount of athleticism and skill. He is simply a strong-bodied wing who can score at all three levels. His strength allows him to be extremely effective on the drive as he bullies and overpowers opposing defenders on his way to the rim, where he is an elite finisher. Rice has a similar build to former Baylor undersized power forward Mark Vital, but does not have the same level of bounce, even though he's a threat to basket protectors in the rim. But what makes him all the more special is that he can knock down the perimeter jumper with regularity. He can drain in jumpers off the bounce and has range to the three-point line and has a knack for putting the ball in the basket, as he is always a threat to go on exciting scoring runs. His effort, however, goes beyond scoring. He has a nose for the ball in the glass, and after snatching boards, he has the ball skills to lead the break to make something happen. Throughout the past year, Rice has been one of the more consistently productive prospects in the National 2022 class. He has the body and skill set to make an immediate impact in the college game if that is the route he decides to move forward with. So basically, to sum that up, guy who plays hard, physical wing, sounds like he's going to be somebody who's going to help you out with rebounding and defense. The shooting, it sounds like it's a streak thing where he's going to have games where he's super hot shooting the ball. He's going to have games where he's not hitting shots, but he is a consistent driver. I would imagine you can play that guy at the three or the four for KU. You might be saying, well, that's a pretty small, small ball four, but like they said with the Mark Vital comparison at 6'5", Jalen Wilson this past year was playing that four. He even played some small ball five. I don't think Bill Self ever wants to have that happen again. It was more out of you know necessity. Um, I doubt it happens this year when you have guys like David McCormick, Cam Martin, Mitch Lightfoot, Zach Clemens in tow. But Jalen Wilson at the Combine measured at like 6'7", like a 6'8 wingspan. So he could be a small ball four for you, even at 6'5". It just depends on, on the wingspan and how you view that. But more so, it sounds like he's going to be kind of a three- and kind of that wing who is just a really good athlete. Um, maybe similar to like what you had with Wayne Selden, although Wayne Selden had maybe more of a jump shot than MJ Rice. You would think and Wayne Selden was like a top 10, 12 recruit, depending where you were looking, coming out, which is a little bit higher than where MJ Rice is. I love this quote, though, that he gave to Eric Bossy in an article about why he chose Kansas. And this was not why, but it was later he said why was he loved the family atmosphere at KU and so forth. He said, I'm a leader and great person to be around. I love that. I love the idea. I think we should all, you know, hype ourselves up with our personal scouting reports. You know, enough about being critical of, of ourselves. I'm, I'm a great person to be around. I'm a great friend. You know, I, <laughs> everybody loves me. It's like the, the Michael Scott quote from the office was, you know, what's your weaknesses? I just love too much. <laughs> I love that uh, from this kid. But one of the things that we have to keep in mind, if you noticed at the end of that scouting report, it mentioned he has the body and skill set to make an immediate impact in the college game if that is the route he decides to move forward with. You might have been wondering, what, what does that mean? There is a part of me that is a little bit skeptical here 
of if he will actually end up playing for KU. And I don't want to be a downer, but there are some rumors about him going pro. And that was actually the rumor enough because if you look at the 24-7 sports composite, it actually was projecting him to choose a professional route. And it actually, if you go on it still now, that hasn't changed even with the commitment to KU. I don't know if they're locked in or, or what the deal is there. So you look at that, and I don't know if that means he has an offer from the Overtime Elite League, which is kind of the new league, or if it's the G League Ignite program, which started up last year, or if it's something even overseas. Like, for instance, um, overseas with the NBL in Australia or wherever. Doesn't matter. And so there's a part of me that's kind of skeptical here because, like, we saw this with Isaiah Todd a season ago. He committed to Michigan, ended up going to the G League Ignite. We saw it with Dacian Nix, committed to UCLA, ended up going to the G League Ignite. Could that be the path for MJ Rice? One thing you have that maybe some of those schools didn't have a season ago is NIL. If the G League Ignite comes around and offers you $500,000, you are not going to be able to match that. But if G League Ignite comes around and says, hey, MJ Rice will pay you $100,000 to come play for the G League Ignite, you probably still won't even be able to match that. But can you match it close enough that some of the other advantages of being at KU as opposed to the G League Ignite, of being on TV every game, of maybe building your brand in college a little bit more? of playing against lesser competition than going up against pros in the G League Ignite where maybe it allows you to show your skills a little bit more? Can you get enough money off NIL to make up for the gap a little bit to where instead of it being, hey, my options are $100,000 at the G League Ignite or getting not paid at all to go to college, but I get some of those things. Now maybe with NIL, if you can get $30,000 or $50,000 with NIL from some local businesses to do advertising, now, all of a sudden, the gap's not as big for how much money I'd be making. I'd still be bringing in some income, and I get those other advantages of going to KU. Maybe that can be a difference here. It is funny, though, because KU just did get this commitment, but the recruiting has just begun in that regard to keeping him away from the professional route. But let's end this with a positive. Best case scenario, you got a five-star wing for the class of 2022. That's obviously a big deal. Worst case scenario, he does end up going pro. But you still got a nice image boost from getting a five-star commit amid everything going on. It keeps you in the recruiting cycle, in the news cycle from a positive outlook. And now anyone who looks at the top team recruiting rankings for 2022 sees Kansas in at number two overall. So best case scenario, you get a really good player. Worst case scenario, it's a net zero, like nothing happened, but you got some positive news out of it at the very least. And this is just one that, yeah, I guess you kind of hold your breath. And maybe this is where we're going, just in recruiting in general, where you just have to hold your breath with every top-level recruit you get that you hope, okay, well, are they going to actually come here now after they committed us, or are they going to go the pro route? You have to basically get two commitments from each player at that point. FM 1017-1320-KLWN's Rock Jock Sports Talk. The Royals had a historic night last night. They ended up losing 8-6 to to the New York Yankees in 11 innings. 
The reason it was historic, they became the first team in the modern era of baseball to overcome deficits in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th innings. And that also makes them the first team to overcome deficits in the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th innings and still lose. Um, there was also some, this is way less historic, but Salvador Perez walked twice, which that doesn't happen very often. The last time it happened was May 9th of 2017, which was over 1,500 days ago. So you got to see some history if you were at the Royals game or watching the game, a game that lasted like five hours, no scoring through the first six innings, and then it was just back and forth between the two. The way that Whit Merrifield, who has a 278 on base, just a 575 OPS since the All-Star break, and the way that Carlos Santana, who left nine players on base last night, and is hitting 159 with a 476 on base percent or OPS since the break. The way that both of those guys struggled last night and continue to struggle, although Witt did have an impactful hit steal um, and a run in the game last night. But Santana, again, nine players left on base. The way those guys are struggling right now, I think makes it look all the worse that Dayton Moore opted not to trade them now at the deadline. Because if these struggles kind of continue on through the end of the season, the value you would get on them in the offseason or theoretically the value you'd get, you'd get on them at the 2022 deadline with having less years of control and in theory struggling more is going to be microscopic to what you would have gotten now. There were reports that the Red Sox wanted Carlos Santana. There were reports that the Mariners wanted Whit Merrifield. Dayton Moore thinks they can compete in 2022, so he's not going to make a future look for an organization that needs to think about the future. When you're a smaller market organization, you have to constantly be thinking about that. You can't just be looking ahead to, okay, can we win it next year? Because most often not, if you're the small organization, you're not going to be able to go out in free agency and spend the money to be able to get you over that hump unless you have a bunch of those prospects coming up. Now, maybe they do with guys like Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, Bobby Witt, that they think that can be the difference. Here's the issue. The Royals who are almost five games worse than even the Detroit Tigers right now are only a game up on last place in the division, have a bottom four record in the American League, have the 24th best record in all of the MLB, and have the 26th best run differential in all of baseball. Dayton Moore believes that team can all of a sudden flip the switch and not just be better next year, so there should be expectation to be better when you have young players. But to be that much better, to be from the 26th best team in run differential, 24th best in record, to all of a sudden being a playoff team in 2022, that feels a little delusional to me. Maybe the delusion comes from the fact that, yeah, it is a make-or-break year for Dayton Moore, so what else does he have? What other options does he have? But if that is how you have to approach it from the Royals, then you probably need to find a new guy in that regime because you would just be setting yourself back another year if you're going to go for it in 2022 and not actually make it. There should be a target deadline of, hey, 2023 or 2024, and that should be when the moves are being made for because right now you're too far out of it to be a contender as soon as next year, in my opinion. Now, maybe there's thoughts of the MLB expanding. I know that's been rumored with the new CBA that they could expand the postseason, and that does change things pretty drastically if you're able to get a couple extra teams in the playoffs. But right now, the way with Merrifield and Carlos Santana are struggling, 
Looks like an even bigger mistake not to dish him at the deadline. FM 1017-1320-KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. John Kirby joins us in about 20 minutes. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. FM 1017-1320-KLWN. The KU football season is getting close to starting. Three weeks from this Friday is the first game against South Dakota. John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joins us now on the show. And they've got a really good deal going on over Jayhawk Slant. I think it's like $20, $21 for like a year subscription from this point on. Uh, John, how much different has the vibe been of just being around camp so far and what you've heard around camp compared to previous years? Yeah, Derek, you know, it's just a, it's a different feel. And, and when I say this, this is not a knock on the past staff or the past staffs that have come before that, okay? But I think Lance Leipold, when it comes down to organization and detail and things like that, he is probably going to be the closest to Mark Mangino that Kansas has had in, in quite a while. Okay, And that's what you've got to have to win at Kansas. You've got to be detailed. You've got to be organized. You've got to come up with some things and ways that others don't. A big start for that. And, and I told everybody, and I'll, Derek, I'll fall on the sword if Lance Leipold doesn't ever work out as the coach, but it's well documented that when the coaching search started, Lance Leipold was the guy that I said is the type of coach that Kansas needs. And I was pretty vocal about it. I still am. I'll still back the choice. And I think we're starting to see a lot of the things from him at Kansas that I heard how he was at Buffalo. We've heard a lot of the players talk about the attention to detail with the coaching staff and We've heard the preaching of, of process over results. And uh, yesterday we had, or whenever that was, Kyron Johnson say the difference is a little more strict with pertaining to the schedule. So what exactly are the details that make it more of a detail-oriented uh, kind of coaching staff and, and how things are executed? Yeah, Derek, you know, it's the, it's the culture and the mind change that – when a meeting starts at 12, that doesn't mean come bopping in at 11.59, okay? I mean, that means get there at 11.55. Get there, be in the seat, ready to go. Just little changes like that. Um, some of the things that I think Gildersleeve has brought in the strength and conditioning and, and he and Stacy Potter, what they're doing in the nutrition program, all the way down to the top of where football stands in terms of schemes and X's and O's, all the way down to strength and conditioning and what they're eating and the, you know, just like Gildersleeve talked about, just the stuff they do with their post-nutrition shakes and everything. Everything is very detailed. And the one thing is, Derek, you find a lot of head coaches, and I've seen this in 22 years of covering college football. There's a lot of head coaches that kind of say, hey, I don't need to know that stuff. Okay, like that's, that's beneath me. You guys take care of that. The one thing I've learned about Leipold, he knows everything that's going on. I mean, when they're going to send graphics out to recruits, he knows. You know, when they're going to change up the meal plan, he knows. So, and that's the way I think it's got to be at a place like Kansas. It's got to be, everybody's got to be involved, especially the head coach from the top down. And you mentioned some of those kind of nutritional uh, or, or strength and training type of things. How big are some of the jumps that we're seeing from some of these players just individually in terms of what they're putting together athletically or uh, in terms of like weight gain and all that stuff uh, from last year? Well, you know, it's, they are major changes. 
but in a way they kind of are because some of the numbers that have improved body mass and, and muscle and some of the times that have already turned with vertical jump and 40s and 10-yard, you know, the shuttles and things like that. Derek, you got to remember that Gildersleeve got here in the very beginning of June, right? He got his, he got the players in the beginning of June. So it's not like he's been doing this all spring. And, and I've told people this, the results that you're seeing right now, this is like two, two and a half months of work, which is pretty impressive to see that happen, which I think should have people pretty excited for the future of what they can do with these guys when they start getting them for the long haul. We're talking with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, so the QB battle is obviously the one that is, as always, going to get kind of the most headlines there. And who knows, maybe it will be somebody who is a guy we're not expecting at the end of the day, like a Conrad Hawley or Ben Easter is one of the freshmen you brought in. But I think for the most part, people would assume that it's probably going to be one of the three guys between Miles Kendrick, Jalen Daniels, and Jason Bean. How would you peg the quarterback battle right now? And how much different do you think we can uh, see it going over the next couple of weeks? Well, this is what I think, Derek. Now, number one, um, I, I want to talk about, you know, a couple of rule changes that the NCAA put in that, you know, I really don't think helps KU. I, I, you wish they would have waited on this, but, you know, they've got a deal in that you can only scrimmage twice in the fall. You know, you had to have so many practices before you can go full pads. You can only go so many days consecutive hitting. And, you know, KU, and I, I'm sure some people will disagree with this, but, you know, KU, got to, they've got to be scrimmaging. They, they, they've got to be hitting in pads and getting a chance to see what they have. Um, in terms of, you know, the quarterback battle, I'm tying that in to the rule changes. Is it, I think it makes it a little harder because – you don't have as much time. But th th there was two things that stood out to me. Number one, they brought three quarterbacks to interview, right? Okay? So those are your three guys, okay, that they brought to us that we all had a chance to talk to. The other thing that I keep going back to is Kotelnicki and Leipold have flat out said, and they are 100% serious about this, this comes down to ball protection. Okay, this comes down to Kotal Nicky said, anytime you're at the line of scrimmage in their offense, that's a good thing. And what he meant by that was if it's second and 10 and you're throwing a ball into a tight window, hey, throw the thing out of bounds. Okay, throw it 50 yards out of bounds. Let's go huddle. Let's go back and play a third down. Let's not try to do something that we don't want to do because Kansas is going to have to run the clock this year. They're going to huddle. They're going to run the clock down. They're going to try to play some ball control, some small ball offense. They are going to try to do those things. The quarterback, in my opinion, that makes the least amount of mistakes and takes care of the ball in fall camp is going to be your starter. That doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, the fastest quarterback may not be the guy. The guy who can throw the ball 70 yards in the air and, and run four five five may not be the guy. And, and I'm not characterizing, I'm not putting anybody in those groups. I'm just saying that if there's a guy that has a bunch of talent and a bunch of upside, but he's not as steady as the guy down here who's doing all the little things, but maybe doesn't have the upside as the quarterback, I think they'll, I really think they'll be safe and go with the guy who gives them the safe chance. Do you think what the offense will run is going to benefit a certain quarterback, or do you think that's going to be more of something that whoever the quarterback is, they're going to kind of adjust what they're doing to the quarterback? 
Well, their offense, they can adjust to anything, Derek. I mean, in what, 2018, they, they led the MAC in passing, right? And then 2019, they came back the next year and led the MAC in rushing. And Kodal Nicky said the other day that their offense is going to be built off of a system that can be tweaked, and it can be tweaked pretty fast. So I think the offense is going to be somewhat of a ball control. I think you'll see some creativity, uh, short passes high percentage passes. I think Kansas on second and nine will take the three-yard quick out to make it third and six, okay, instead of trying to get the big chunk play and get the first down. So I don't think that there's – I don't think there's really any system that's going to – they're going to put in offensively that's going to favor one quarterback or another unless – unless, which you and I haven't had a chance to see yet – unless there's a lot of quarterback run game in there, which I don't think we saw a lot of from Buffalo at, at all from their past. And if something like that happens, right, where they, they want to get quarterback run game going, then that might favor somebody like a Jalen Daniels or a Bean. Yeah, that was that was kind of my thought as well with Jason Bean specifically, just given, I mean, you asked him the question when we got to talk to him last week, how fast his 100-yard meter was, and he said, I think 10-3, um, I went and looked it up, and it looks like I think he ran a ten three six in in high school, which that is the same number that DK Metcalf just ran uh, when he was like participating in the U.S. Olympic trials or whatever was going on. So DK Metcalf, who is one of the fastest receivers in the NFL, that's how fast Jason Bean is. I just wonder if they would be able to curtail an offense around him, or if it won't fit that way. And I also wonder, you know, if Jason Bean does end up being like the third string quarterback at the end of the day of all this, I wonder if he'd be a guy you look at. And obviously it's easy for Kansas to point back and say, Hey, look what Kerry Meyer did. Um, but say, Hey, why don't you uh, go play receiver or something with that speed? Yeah. You know, I asked him that question because I know some of the coaches down at North Texas, where he came from. And you know, when this all happened, I reached out to them and just said, Hey, What's going on here? What does Kansas have coming in? I mean, two guys right away said he's, he's got track speed. They said he's a type, he's a type of kid that could run track at a D1 program because of you know what he did in high school alone. Now the question is is with the speed. You know, when you talk about like Kerry Meyer, you know, Kerry Meyer was Kerry Meyer was a great athlete who he knew the angles and knew how to play receiver and he figured it out. You know, does Jason Bean have a, you know, is he a a quick turn guy? Does he have hips or is he more of a straight line guy? Like on the film that I've seen him when he goes straight line now and he gets to move and he gets into open space. I mean, if you're a corner or safety, you better take the right angle on him or he'll be by you. So outside of quarterback, um, on the offense, what is the position that you've been most intrigued by so far through fall camp? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens at running back. Um, that is a position to me, and I'm going off the top of my head. I hope I don't forget anybody, but you know, you have Pesek Hickson, and you've got Highshaw, and you've got Devin Neal, and you've got Belton Gardner, who you know has been out, and there's some guys there that all. They do different things. I know Malik Johnson's moved there. He was a, a wide receiver. I don't. They all kind of complement each other in weird ways. You know, one is a power guy. One is a one cut back that really isn't you know going to make people miss. Gardner is more of a slasher. Getting issues of speed. Devin Neal to me is kind of a little bit of all of them because he can catch. 
ball so well, and and I do think he's got the speed and the power. But it, it will be interesting to me to to see what goes on there. You know, one thing I posted today on our site, Derek, is, you know, I've just heard a little here and there that there have been a few running backs nicked up or maybe maybe out a little bit. And, you know, that's going to give somebody like Devin Neal a chance to show what he can do. So, you know, you might have a guy like Neal who's slowly moving up those charts as a true freshman. And uh, so that that's one position to me that I'm really looking at. Every time we talk to different coaches, I feel like Amori Pesek-Hickson gets brought up because of some of the crazy athleticism numbers that he has, despite a guy being that size. And when you mention all those other names of guys who realistically you could say, yeah, he could be a starter. He could be a starter. He could be a starter on the team. Is the running back group the the best position you would say for KU overall? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know in terms of like proving themselves. There's still guys that have to prove themselves a little more on that. You know, sometimes I kind of look at the defensive line and think that there's, you know, there, there's some guys that have played some football there and there's some potential. I kind of like what they do there. Um, in the secondary, I think, you know, Kenny Logan and Rick Thomas at safety, they've they've played a lot of Big 12 football. They understand what it's like to play at that level. But, yeah, I, I would say uh, – I would say running back is a is a group that has a lot of talent. You know, listen, when I watched Pesa Kicks in, in high school play basketball, I remember his senior year, I watched him, and I was like, hey, this kid can flat out. He's a good athlete. And he, he was getting up around the rim. And also remember, too, he, he played linebacker some. So, I mean, running back, he's still learning that. So he'll get a lot better as well. Talking with John Kirby for a few more minutes here of Jayhawk Slant, are there any surprise players that, you think could end up having a bigger role than maybe we initially thought before camp started? You know, I don't know if it's a surprise role, but we talked a lot about in the off season about Jacoby Bryant, who came in with a lot of fanfare and, and he is, he is, he's going to be a good player. And I know last year in fall camp, before he left the program, he participated and they felt he might've been the best corner in the program. And then you had Jeremy Webb come in in the off season. You know, if you've seen him out there, number nine, he is a six foot four corner. I mean, he is a big, tall. There aren't many corners in the Big Twelve that will look like him. But then I've kind of heard the guy that's looked good is Deuce Mayberry. So you know, it's always funny, Derek. We always want to talk about the new guy or the guy who you know nobody's seen that you know gets a lot of fanfare because they're a mystery. And here we are, the you know the the best corner might be the guy that's been in the program over the guys that nobody's seen play yet. Anything of note on the recruiting front or upcoming in terms of realignment that's kind of outside of the actual on-the-field stuff? Yeah, on the recruiting, you know, I think we're going to kind of get into a period where there still could be a couple high school guys they're looking at, and then you're going to run into the, the dead period that's going on now. And I don't know that they're going to bring a lot of official visitors in during the season. And here's what I think is going to happen, Derek. They're going to wait to watch this team. They're going to see what they have. Remember, they haven't even had their players for a week. I mean, they've only been able to see their guys on the field for five days since they've since the coaches have come to the program. So I think what you're going to see is they're going to reevaluate their recruiting board at some point, maybe after playing three or four games, and they're going to say, "Oh man, we got to go get two linemen," or "Oh hey, we need to go get we need, we got to go get a quarterback and two linebackers," whatever that may be. I still think that there's a lot to be determined in terms of the realignment. I just think it's all slow. I, I think that this stuff all came out; it got hot and heavy. 
People were making all these predictions like there was going to be movement really fast, and I don't buy it at all. Now, I can tell you, I've got a couple contacts that I feel are very close that know what's going on within some certain conferences. You know, I've said this, Derek. The first thing that needs to happen is conferences have to come out and say, we're expanding, okay? And the minute that rat race happens, I think Kansas becomes the prettiest girl at the bar, okay, (laughs) of the teams that are out there that will be remaining. When you take Oklahoma and Texas and move them to the SEC, I think Kansas is that next school in line. But the key is some conference has to come out and say, we are officially looking at expansion, okay? And then once that happens, I think you'll see a trickle-down effect. And when that happens, I think there will be schools fighting for Kansas at that point. He is John Kirby, Jayhawk Slant. Uh, before I let you go, John, uh, do you want to go over? I know you guys are having like a, a really good deal right now with the one year. I, I mentioned it at the beginning, but what is all involved in that? Yeah, Derek, it's it's probably one of our best promos we've done in 20 years of the site. Um, for the year 2021, we are doing a deal where for $20.21, you get the entire year of Jayhawk Slant. And it's usually about 100 bucks a year, but uh, – for for that amount, man, it's a it's a great deal. So hopefully we can pick up some good loyal KU fans out there who want to come and follow and chat uh, KU sports with us and a lot of other off topic subjects that always pop up on our message board. He is John Kirby, Jayhawk Slant. John, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Hey Derek, take care. All right, that was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk FM one oh one seven thirteen twenty KLWN. Depend on it. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want it clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. Four o'clock hour. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports is going to join us in about 30 minutes from right now. We'll talk KU football, KU basketball, realignment with Kevin. We'll also let you hear from Jake Schoonover, the special teams coach, coming up in about 15 minutes from right now here on RCST. One thing that will be interesting to see what the repercussions are of Big 12 realignment and college football realignment are the recruiting version of this now from a KU basketball recruiting sense I don't know how much it matters like KU basketball recruiting recruits from a national level obviously certainly you're going to have your pipelines like maybe a Dallas or Chicago or whatnot where maybe you're getting a few more guys than the other places but at the end of the day like you're going to go out and find the best talent you like wherever they come from whether it's Virginia North Carolina Florida Texas California Chicago doesn't matter 
with KU football, it might be a little bit different. Um, and this is also, I think, the case with the teams left in the Big 12. Ari Wasserman of The Athletic wrote about this, like what is going to be the big impact in terms of recruiting. And one of the things he talked about was the Big 12 leftovers possibly being in trouble. So in the 2021 recruiting cycle, the top 15 players in the state of Texas all signed with either Alabama, Texas, Ohio State, Texas A&M, LSU, or Oklahoma. And then in the 2020 cycle, nine of the top 15 players in Texas went to Alabama, Texas, Ohio State, Texas A&M, or Oklahoma. So on one hand, you could say that, well, the top players are already going to these schools that all now, minus Ohio State in that situation, will be in the SEC. So how much are the the schools that are left in the Big 12 really suffering here? Because think about all the schools that are in the Big 12 and how they recruit the state of Texas. Obviously, with TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, they're still in the state. They're still going to have some extent of a stronghold. Kansas, we know, has recruited Texas pretty extensively. Same case for, you know, Kansas State gets guys from there. Um, Iowa State brings in guys from, like, every school in the Big 12 is bringing in guys from Texas because there's so many recruits there. It's a big football state, and there are a lot of good players coming out of the state of Texas. But without Texas specifically being in the conference, does that change things at all? Does it change the stronghold? And it's not even necessarily a stronghold because Texas A&M and Alabama and Ohio State and so forth were coming into the state and taking away top players anyway. But does it hurt the stronghold that maybe you had in the Big 12 a little bit with, again, maybe not getting all those guys because a bunch of the top players were going to those other schools anyway? but for getting that second tier of player. Now that Texas A&M and Texas are both in the SEC, and Oklahoma's so close to Texas anyway, are now even the second tier of players going to be going to the Mississippi States of the world, to the Ole Misses of the world, as opposed to going to a Kansas or a Kansas State or an Iowa State or a Baylor? Texas is obviously the primary feeding ground for the Big 12 programs. And this is what Ari Wasserman talks about. If most of the elite prospects are going to be drawn to SEC programs or Ohio State, how many quality players are going to be left at that point for the rest of the schools? SMU has ramped up recruiting efforts. And maybe that's something where they're starting to take away more from the Big 12. That wasn't the case until recently. Um, And another piece of this is when you're going to be going and recruiting these Texas players over these other conferences, when you look at how the Big 12 is done in the NFL draft, because the NFL draft and how you're putting players in is as big of a tool as any in recruiting. That is a big reason why the SEC is bringing in so many good players, because every year they get players drafted in the first round, they get players just drafted in general, and they have these huge numbers of players drafted, and it's kind of just a never-ending cycle because it's like, hey, we got a bunch of players drafted, so that means we're going to get good recruits, and then because they're good recruits, they're going to get drafted. It's a never-ending cycle, right? Oklahoma and Texas have made up for 41 of the Big 12's 103 draft picks since 2017. So about 40% of the Big 12's draft picks over the last five years have been from Oklahoma and Texas, and that's even including that Texas hasn't been producing 
a bunch of high-level draft picks. Of the eight remaining Big 12 schools, once Texas and Oklahoma are gone, they've combined to produce an average of 12 NFL draft picks per year since 2017. That's about one per school, or one and a half per school. That is a lot tougher to convince these recruits. And who knows? AAC and Big 12 leftovers, if that comes together, maybe you're stranglehold on certain states or maybe you're able to recruit other states to make up for it better or maybe that helps you re-recruit Texas to a certain standpoint if you bring on a school like SMU or Houston or whatnot but that's definitely something that could hurt a lot of these big 12 schools as it stands right now if Texas moving to the SEC because again the elite recruits the top 15 guys that's probably not getting affected anyway But if it starts to affect that second tier of player, the top 50 guys in Texas who are in that 20 to 50 range in the state rankings, and they're going to Ole Miss and Mississippi State instead of going to these Big 12 schools, that's going to be pretty problematic for the Big 12 overall as a conference. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin Flaherty joins us in about 25 minutes from right now. But on the other side, let's let you hear from KU Special Teams Coordinator and Defensive End Coach Jake Schoonover. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now as we are on Tuesdays by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you for hopping on with me again today. Um, KU football season feels so close every time I go out to one of the media availabilities, and it actually is three weeks from this Friday, the opener for KU against South Dakota what do you think the because the the over under is just one or maybe it's bumped up to one and a half now? But what do you think if I were to give you like the floor for what the least amount KU could win and the ceiling for what you think the most KU could win if everything hypothetically went right for them in terms of wins for KU this year would be? Well, I think the 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 floor would be zero, and I, I know that right. that sounds pretty harsh, but we've seen Kansas lose to to FCS programs in the past, and, and certainly, you know, I, I don't want to say that, that Kansas is above it and, and everything else. I, I don't think Kansas loses or wins zero games this year. But at the same time, I, I think that if you're talking the things don't go right, they go into the season opener and they aren't prepared because they haven't had spring ball, et cetera. Yeah, it's possible that Kansas could potentially lose to South Dakota, and they're going to need – to show up in that game to win it. As far as you know, as far as ceiling and where things could go, if if everything goes right, Derek, you could be looking at, at three or four wins. And, and I know that, that that's quite a jump from from zero. But I think when you look at it, you could see you know Kansas is probably you know I, I think Kansas is probably going to beat South Dakota in that opener. You start off one and zero. And I think that then brings a couple really interesting road trips. You know, you have Coastal Carolina, who obviously Kansas has, has struggled against the late. But at the same time, you look at last year's game, and I think one of the things that was sort of lost in the end result was how much mistakes cost Kansas in that game, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't that Coastal Carolina just jumped – all over Kansas from from an ability standpoint, and there's nothing that Kansas could do. I'm not saying Coastal Carolina wasn't better, 
But what I am saying is that game got out of hand really quickly because Kansas turned the ball over and made some, some mistakes and things where if the Jayhawks are able to rein those things in, uh, I think you could see a closer game this year. I also see that Duke game, Derek, is kind of a little bit like the Boston College game from Les Miles' first year. You know, you're facing an ACC team that isn't really familiar with you. You know, maybe you have a couple things that, that you hold back a little bit. If you remember right, that, that Les Miles staff, you know, they hadn't really shown a lot of empty or, or four wide or, or anything like that. They go up to play Boston College on the road. Everybody assumes Boston College is going to run all over KU. And they come out with a really big win by holding some things back and and really hitting them with those things. Duke is not a great team. You know, they're a team that when you look at, at advanced metrics and things like that, they're typically ranked between 90 and 100 uh, in the country for this upcoming season. And while we don't know, obviously, all the the guys who are going to come through, whether this guy's going to be better than expected, you know, injuries and things like that, I don't think it's a huge leap to say if we're talking about, a, you know, a scenario where Kansas could potentially hit its ceiling, that, that Kansas, that that's a game that Kansas absolutely cannot win. And so if you're looking at, at the positives at that point, you know, you're sitting two and one heading into conference play, and I don't think it would be a stretch at that point for the Jayhawks to maybe steal a conference game, whether that's against Texas Tech or whoever else. And so uh, I think that, that sort of three or four is what you would be looking for in terms of saying, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, this is a great start to the Leipold era. They've been better than expected. They, they hit their ceiling this year. And the thing about it is, Derek, I think most of us are, are really watching Kansas this year to project Kansas into 2022. And if it, if they have that sort of season where they are closer to, you know, sort of best case scenario, all of a sudden you have this really weird thing where you're heading into the offseason and you might even be feeling like, okay, if, if a couple bounces go KU's way next year, maybe they're in bowl contention. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you on the Duke one is the one I, I, I circle that's the big one other than South Dakota. They're obviously not going to be favored in like a game against Tech, but you know the last two years, the score between the two of them on aggregate has been even. And uh, I don't know, maybe you pull an upset somewhere along the road. So I would agree. I think the ceiling is probably around four to me. But it's interesting thinking about the Coastal Carolina game because we do think about it like, oh, KU struggled in this series. But should we think about it like that? Because... Actually, over the last two years, Coastal Carolina has proven to be a better team than Kansas. They've proven, I think over the last two years, the record's, I don't know, 16 and, and 8 or something like that. Like, they're clearly a good team. Should we almost view it as, wow, KU's actually keeping it close with a good team? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I think that beating Kansas last year really started Coastal Carolina on the run that it had. And I know... A lot of people would say, well, you know, KU didn't win a game. Like, how could that, how could that happen? But I don't think that Coastal Carolina in game eight was the same team that it was in that opener. And so when you, when you look at that game, I, I think heading in, I'm not sure Coastal Carolina, you know, had the confidence and was acting like it was a top 15 team that it would, you know, sort of eventually turn out to be. But, but you watch that game, and 
One, Kansas loses its starting quarterback really early, and one of the things that nobody really talks about with regard to last season is the fact that they tapped Thomas McVitie as the starter. You know, you had Puka coming back as an all-Big 12 back. You had, you know, two of the top seven wide receivers and receiving yards coming back. And they didn't, pl- they didn't ever play together the entire season last year. Those four pieces weren't ever all together because McBitty played all of about a half before he got hurt. You know, they were hurt by some turnovers in that game. They had to make some adjustments and, and things like that. I believe Stefan Robinson didn't play in that, that opening game. You know, they struggled to get the ball to Andrew Parchment for a lot of the season. Puka Williams winds up opting out after four games. Robinson doesn't wind up playing that much. And so you wind up having the KU team that we saw late in the season against Texas Tech where, you know, you're starting three freshman offensive linemen and you're down to, you know, your third or your fourth running choice running back. And, you know, you're playing a, a quarterback who is maybe, you know, your second or, or third choice or, or fourth choice or however it wants to. And, and I think, one of the upsides of last season, even though this is a new year, new staff, new system, and everything, was a lot of those guys got thrown into the fire way, way before they were ready last year. And I think that that threw some things off a little bit, but it also possibly accelerated their growth process a little bit. And so when you look at that Coastal Carolina matchup, I think Coastal Carolina is going to be very confident in that matchup, and rightfully so, having beaten Kansas, you know, two times in a row in Lawrence, and then the the trip coming out there. But you almost wonder, hey, if Kansas just plays good, fundamentally sound football in that game, doesn't turn the ball over, their linebackers are are in the gaps where they're supposed to be, which is a, a huge thing against Coastal Carolina. You know, maybe that's the sort of thing where. It's 16 to 10 in the fourth quarter, Coastal Carolina leads, but they start feeling that pressure a little bit like, okay, that's, this is a lot closer game than, than maybe what we were thinking or what we were hoping for. If I gave you over under two for QBs that start a game this season for KU, what are you taking? Ooh, gosh. Um, it, it's, it's funny, Derek, because I, I think – there are multiple ways to, to answer this, just in that I think I would go with over, but part of the reason I would go with over is just it's been so rare for Kansas lately to have a quarterback not just play well enough to have the job all season, but also stay healthy for the entire season. And I think it's an interesting thing right now. If I were to, to handicap it, I would probably say Jalen Daniels. I guess would be the most likely as of, you know, today maybe to, to win the starting job. But you face a really interesting question, Derek, once you get past that in that if Jalen Daniels is ineffective or, or he gets hurt in those first couple games, the staff has a fascinating choice to make because you have Miles Kendrick who has the experience and the leadership and, and the things like that. Um, maybe does a little bit better job taking care of the ball than the other guys. But you also have Jason Bean, who is a guy that has tremendous upside. And so Kansas really faces an interesting choice. And last, albeit with a different staff, we saw Kansas tap into the Bean type, right? We saw KU start off the year with, with McVitie. 
He goes down early in the season. Kendrick relieves him. Daniels gets you know a couple snaps at the a few snaps at the end of that game. But who starts the very next game? They leapfrog Kendrick, who is number two on the depth chart, and said, "Okay, Daniels is the guy that if he plays well, he gives us the best chance to win." And I think that's where your three could come in. If anything to Jalen Daniels, whether it's ineffectiveness, injury, whatever. I think there's a, a very real chance there that Kansas could size up its other two candidates and, and sort of say, okay, let's let, let's go with Jason Bean here and, and see how things go. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Moving over to the basketball front, KU landed MJ Rice today, a five-star in the class of 2022. What are the chances, though, because if you look at the crystal ball, like all the picks were – for him to go pro, and I know that's been a rumor around this kid of whether it be the G League Ignite or the Overtime Elite, or I guess hypothetically going overseas internationally to uh, Australia or whatnot. What are the chances that MJ Rice actually does end up on campus at KU? You know, it's kind of funny, Derek. It used to be when somebody committed, you know, you, you would say, okay, this guy is locked in, especially in college basketball. Obviously, college football is a whole different animal. But you would say this guy's locked in and he's going. With a guy like MJ Rice and his situation specifically, it's almost like him putting out a top three list, right? It's not necessarily that, hey, I am 100% coming to Kansas it's, okay, if I go to college, Kansas is my top choice, and there are going to be a couple professional options out there, whether that's G League Ignite, whether that's the Overtime League, whether that's, you know, one of the offers from the NBL in Australia, you know, which has really come in with with some big offers of late for kids. And so I, I think that while Kansas should certainly be excited to get a commitment from MJ Rice and He's a guy that would fit in really well with what Bill Self likes to do because he's he's like this power wing, you know, who could play both the, the three and the four as a three-level scorer. I think at the same time, if you're that KU staff, you don't think for a second right now that that recruiting job is done because you're going to wind up recruiting against the professional route over the next few months as opposed to recruiting against other Big 12 teams or, or even recruiting against Duke or Kentucky. So how much does like NIL come into play here with maybe if, you know, if G League Ignite comes around and says, hey, we'll give you 100K to play, I'd imagine at that point that you're going to be scrambling if you're KU or uh, the coaching staff to say, hey, can we get some businesses to even get some money together, 20K, 50K to even if it's not as much because of the other things that you're getting in coming to college as opposed to going to that route, maybe that can be enough to offset it. Yeah, and see, I love that question, Derek, because it, it really is the wild card out there. Because it, if all things are equal, you know, you would think that, that it would make a lot of sense to, to go to Kansas. If the offer is, say, $100,000, you know, from uh, from overtime elite or, or whatever else, and Kansas can say, well, you know, look at, look at what happened this year. You know, Jalen Wilson made $100,000 based on, on what happened this season. I think that's where Kansas can continue to build on its recruiting pitch for for these players because we don't really know what NIL looks like yet. I mean, we know that you know Bryce Young has a deal, you know, for for around seven figures, and 
and Alabama and that other coaches are saying, wait a minute, that's not realistic. That That's just, you know, Alabama silly money. And yet at the same time, you think about like a season that Frank Mason had in 2016-17. Frank Mason is probably not just collecting local money from sponsors and things like that from NIL during that season. You know, he we haven't really heard anything about you know, maybe Nike giving him a deal to put him up on a billboard at Times Square and paying him $100,000 to do that. And so we don't know what this is going to look like. And I think that that's part of the reason it's smart for Rice to commit to a college and hold his spot and everything to watch this thing, because it might be that Kansas can give him the best combination of what he wants, including money, when you throw in the NIL stuff. And and so that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on with what KU's players are, are making this year and also what KU feels like, you know, MJ might be able to do if he were to come to campus next year. As far as what he can provide for the team, it sounds like he's an athletic wing who I've seen some people say maybe he could play a small ball for what does he kind of provide on the court for KU if he does end up being in Lawrence? You know, I, I think he, he's a really tough guy. You know, I, I know you watch a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of college basketball, not just Kansas, Derek, and he reminds me of so many of those sort of Michigan State power wings. You know, you look at like a Brandon Dawson or somebody like that. He's a better scorer, a better shooter than a Brandon Dawson is. But, you know, he's six foot five, 225 pounds. You know, he gets on the glass and competes there at a high level. And he's and he's a pretty good athlete for that size. You know, he's not overly stiff. He's not a, a guy that, you know, is sort of stuck in one direction or a straight line guy. You know, he, he's got some skill to him. And, and he can score, I think, sort of right out of the box and uses his power really well as a driver and as a finisher, you know, at the level he's playing at right now, if he gets you on his hip or, or can give you that little bit of shoulder to create space and, and finish around the rim, you know, he's, he's going to be able to do that. And so I think that one of the benefits of him is he already has sort of that college ready body and physicality and, and there's some skill to go with that. So I don't know that it's going to take him very long to transition to the college game, whereas some other people, you know, maybe you look at them and say, okay, we, we'd really like to have this guy add some weight or, you know, or, or do some different things physically to where they'll be able to compete at the highest level. I don't think that's going to be an issue for MJ Rice. Talking with Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Before I do let you go, uh, Gene Taylor, the Kansas State AD, released a statement yesterday, or maybe it was just an interview that got caught. I, I don't quite remember. Um but basically, he said that um, when he talks to other ADs or, or he has friends in other leagues, that he's not hearing they're doing anything. So what do you make of Gene Taylor's comments? You know, I, I joked around on Twitter that it was kind of like the high school thing uh, where, you know, somebody at your school will be like, well, I'm dating this girl who goes to another school. You you wouldn't know her. You know, the whole I've got friends at a at other schools and I'm getting this information back and et cetera. I, I think, I think even the most ardent Kansas state fan would tell you that what he put out was maybe a little bit Pollyannish in terms of, you know, having a spot where Kansas state 
has an argument or one of the best arguments among the eight remaining Big 12 schools to to go to a Power Four conference or, or whatever else. Kansas State has had success. There, there's no doubt about that. And in football, they they certainly you know overachieved you know when, in comparison to their resources and and things of that nature. You know they've they've won. Big 12 titles in the last decade. And so when you look at that, obviously you can see why this would be frustrating for K-State to be sort of left out in the cold potentially. But it's not about that. It's about viewership. It's less about TV sets, more about streaming. You know, is somebody going to, you know, pay for a stream to to pick up your game, you know, if you wind up playing on ESPN Plus or, or whatever? And even beyond that, you know, I thought the academic stuff that he mentioned, you know, in terms of, hey, we've had good APR, we've had, you know, this or that, you know, those aren't even really what the Big Ten is looking at, which is, you know, the Big Ten is obviously the one that everybody mentions in terms of sort of focusing at least a little bit on the academic component. It's not about APR or whatever else. It's about the ability to generate and utilize research money, which is why Kansas and Iowa State have that AAU designation that that is, you know, reportedly attractive to the Big Ten. And so even the academic stuff where he said, hey, we're fairly strong academically, too, it wasn't necessarily in the right areas as far as that goes. It's The whole thing is unfortunate, Derek, because I think – you know, Kansas State has proven that that it can compete at a Power Five level and has success at a Power Five level and whatever else. But in sort of this new world of realignment and everything else, it when you look at those remaining eight Big Twelve schools, you know there are multiple schools in there, and Kansas State is probably one of them that that's probably going to be biting its fingernails and, and hoping that that somebody takes a leap there that maybe the numbers don't quite support in terms of, hey, this school, you know, is going to bring significant value to your conference. Well, and I guess for me, this is less about K-State. It's more about, I mean, do you buy what Gene Taylor is saying that other conferences sure. aren't going to do anything? Because for KU, that Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I, I think that that was uh, – if he actually believes it, it's short-sighted. And I think that if he doesn't believe it, you know, and is saying that, you know, that's that's maybe another thing. But but I believe that conferences are, are going to continue to act, and nobody wants to be in a spot where they are getting poached. They want to be the poacher. And so is something going to happen next week? No, probably not. Is something going to happen in three weeks? Probably not. But let's also remember that Brent Zwerneman, who broke this whole thing for the Houston Chronicle, and and Brent does a great job, you know, he was able to break it basically just because Texas A&M was angry about the whole thing going on and let it slip at SEC media days. But we come to find out that those discussions have been going on for six months. And so it's not going to be the sort of thing where we read a report or, or get a report in, you know, September that says, hey, KU's talking to the Big Ten and we have, you know, significant updates as the process goes along. It's going to be the sort of thing where 
it, it's a news drop on, on a random Thursday that somebody says, hey, KU is headed to the Big Ten or, or West Virginia is going to the ACC or, or Texas Tech is going to the Pac-12 with some of these other schools. And it's just going to be dropped. And we're going to find out after that point that there's been quite a bit of negotiating and talking and things like that behind the scenes before it ever got to a point that it was legitimately reportable. He is Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us on Tuesdays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin, thank you so much for the time, and uh, enjoy the Royals game tonight. I hope that it's maybe just as crazy as last night. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, this is Kevin Flaherty joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go.